Well, glad to be with you all. My name is Soon Pak, one of the pastors here, and I'm going to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. I want to start off with an old riddle. Maybe you've heard it. Uh, maybe you know it. Uh, you find yourself lost in the woods, and you come upon a fork in the road. Now, if you go one direction, you find yourself in a village full of good people that can only tell the truth. Uh, there you'll be received warmly and find comfort and rest. But if you take the other path, you'll find yourself in a bad village where they only tell lies and they're not so hospitable to outsiders. Now, as you come upon this fork, there's a man sitting there right in the middle and you don't know if he's a good person from the good village that can only tell the truth or a bad person from the bad village that can only tell lies. But you know you only have time for one question uh, and he will answer it. So to recap, uh, you find yourself on a fork in the road uh, there's one village that can only tell the truth and is good. Uh, the other village can only tell lies and is bad. And there's a person there that can answer one question, but you don't know if it's going to be a truth or a lie. What do you ask this person? Now at this point, if you don't want to know the answer, uh, you can mute me. Uh, you can come back later and, and find out. But I'll let you in on the answer. Uh, the simplest question you can ask them is, which way to your village? Which way to your village? Now, if that person is from the good village, they'll tell you the right direction and you know you're going the right way. But if the person is from the bad village and can only lie, uh, they'll also direct you to the good village as well. It's a fun little riddle uh, to start us off because two weeks ago, Pastor Scott preached a sermon about two paths in life. And now, while that was a hypothetical, fun situation, a riddle, the stakes couldn't be any higher when we talk about our very own lives. One that can lead to life, the other one that can lead to destruction. And I think most people in this world, regardless of faith background, uh, would say that they would decide to choose the path of life, that, that they would choose life even if it was more difficult. But so many people choose the path of destruction. And I think it's because of three ways, not just because it's easier, but A, that they don't know the difference. B, they're uncertain which path they're actually on. Or C, someone in their life has told them with absolute certainty that the path they're on is truly the path of life, even if it isn't. This was true in Jesus' day. We keep bringing up the Pharisees, these religious leaders in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, because Jesus was dismantling the very religious hypocrisy and hierarchy that the Pharisees held up. But the most dangerous part of the Pharisees weren't their power in the society that they possess, or even the pedigree in their religiosity. The most dangerous part of uh, their lives was how certain they were uh, in their piety. They didn't even know they were leading people down a path to destruction. They didn't know that they were themselves deceived and consumed and that they themselves were not on the path of life. Jesus warns against these kind of false prophets that they are really wolves dressed as sheep, ready to take advantage of you. And I'm willing to wager, as Jesus shared those very words, that those Pharisees on that mountainside probably agreed with Jesus. But unlike Jesus, those Pharisees probably looked at Jesus and said, you are that false prophet, Jesus. You're the one leading people astray. And like I shared, I don't think the stakes could be any higher when we talk about the eternity of our souls, the path 
that we choose to take in this life. And I think two questions arise when we talk about that. One, who can we really trust? Who can we really trust when we talk about which path to take? And two, how can we know we're on the right path? How can we know we're on the right path? One, how can, who can we really trust? Beyond the Pharisees, false prophets were a normal part of life during the time of Jesus. During that period, <clears throat> there were a dozen other messiahs that came to be claiming to be uh, from God or a prophet from God. There was Simon of Perea, there was Anthrages the shepherd, and even Judas the Galilean, the very hometown that Jesus came from. And Jesus warns against these kind of false prophets, not just in his time, for the time to come as well. In Matthew 24, he says, At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And it gets more difficult because so often these false prophets don't have a big sign that says, Hey, I'm leading you astray. I'm a false prophet. I'm a wolf in sheep's clothing. A lot of the time they look like just you and me. Theologian, uh, German theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. There's someone standing by my side who looks just like a member of the church. He is a prophet and a preacher. He looks like a Christian. He talks and acts like one. But dark powers are mysteriously at work. It was those who sent him into our midst. He may even be unconscious himself of what he is doing. The devil can give him every encouragement and at the same time keep him in the dark about his own motives. There's a, uh, a great story or a, a big story that broke in 2012. A monumental decision was made to strip cyclist Lance Armstrong uh, of his seven tour to victories and permanently ban him from cycling because of his use of performance-enhancing drugs. Now, if you don't follow sports or even cycling, it was still big news because of how large of a figure he was as a cancer survivor and an advocate against drug use. In 20, 2001, he led a huge marketing campaign uh, with Nike against doping, against drug use. In it, he looks at the camera uh, and he says these words, this is my body, I can do whatever I want to it. I can push it, study it, tweak it, listen to it. Everybody wants to know what I'm on. What am I on? I'm on my bike, busting my butt six days a week, six hours a day. What are you on? In 2006, Armstrong said again that he wouldn't take drugs because he had too much to lose. And he added this, the faith of all cancer survivors around the world rested upon him. Everything I do off the bike would go away too. It's not about the money for me. It's also about the faith that people have put in me over the years. So all of that would be erased. This isn't to bash Lance Armstrong, but to show that deception can come even from the unlikeliest people. Who can you trust in this time? And I know what you're thinking in this moment. Uh, I, at least I hope you're thinking this. Well, soon, if you're saying that we can't trust people, how can I trust you? How can I trust Pastor Scott and the words that he give? And to some extent, you really can't. And before you turn off uh, the screen, after you switch websites, I ask that you just hang on as I explain. See, any pastor is only trust, as trustworthy as the message and the person they preach about. That any pastor is only as trustworthy as the person and the message that they preach about. 
Paul says it this way in the New Testament. Evidently, some of you, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. See, there's only one person full of, worthy of full trust, and it's Jesus, his life, and his message. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The path to life is the path of Jesus. And any prophet, pastor, or preacher that preaches Jesus and only him and him alone and the message he gives to us is worthy of trust. See, I can't say with absolute certainty on who to marry or who to befriend or even who to support politically, but I can say with absolute certainty on who to follow and that's our Lord Jesus. Uh, whether you're searching for new hope in life today, whether you've walked with Jesus for as long as you can remember, whether you've stumbled upon him for the first time this hour, we can trust him in a time when there's so much mistrust in the news. We can trust him in a time when all others, seems to fail, all the others seem to fail us. We can trust him because he's not a wolf trying to lead you astray. He's the, he's the sheep who laid down his life, the sheep who laid down his life and by his very own blood marked the path to life. He himself has led the way and by his blood led us to this deeper life. Who can we trust? Jesus, the Lamb of God. So two, how can we know we're on the right path? Well, how can we know we're on the right path? Jesus says this, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit or bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Jesus encloses this illustration by using the same phrase, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And that Greek word recognize, epinosis, is not just recognizing a face from a crowd, but rather a deep and accurate knowing of something. And what Jesus is saying is by the fruit someone produces, you'll get to see them who they truly are in the most accurate way possible. In this context, Jesus is talking about false leaders, false prophets, false preachers, but he's also speaking to each and every one of us as well. What kind of tree are we? What he's addressing is the very nature of a person. It's a question that we'll all have to address at one point in our life or the life to come. Are we a good person? Are we a good person? In January of this past year, we welcomed our fourth child into the world, uh, Noah Lloyd, and he's been a joy. You would think him being our fourth, that we would be better at this. Uh, I feel like my parenting skills are just getting duller by the day, uh, just harder and harder. And like most babies, as you know, uh, the most difficult time, the hardest time is that time throughout the night. How are they sleeping? Are they uh, sleeping well? Uh, and Noah is no exception. And before I say this next part, I want to preface it saying uh, that with our first child, because he had some issues, that I woke up every time. Every time throughout the night, I woke up with him uh, as we bottle fed him and as Aaron was pumping and we were all trying to get everything uh, going with our first shot. I was there every single 
time. So I want you to remember that as I say the second part. With Noah, I find myself, I sleep through the night most nights, unless it's a really crazy night. Mainly because uh, when he starts stirring, Aaron will just grab him and feed him and put him back down. So I don't even know what's happened. But so every morning I wake up, I turn to Aaron. I said, hey, how did Noah do last night? And she'll say, uh, oh, he was good last night. Or sometimes they'll say, oh, he was, he was pretty bad last night, which means he only woke up once or twice if it's a good night. And that's what we normally do with people. We equate goodness with the actions of a person. That person is a good person because he's done or she's done good things, and particularly if they've uh, done good things towards me. We all have a proclivity towards uh, defining goodness with action. But is that what Jesus is talking about, the fruit we produce, the actions that define us? See, I'm not dismissing action. I don't think Jesus was as well. But the word produce can sometimes trip us up, sort of something we can do to show that we're a good person. What can we produce to show that we're a good person? But I think what Jesus is getting at is more the idea of exposure, that in time we'll all be exposed for who we truly are. The fruit will eventually expose the nature of the tree. See, the thorn bush will always be exposed. The thistle will always be exposed. In the Gospel of Luke, he shares a similar, similar illustration about trees and fruit. There, Jesus says this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The heart will eventually always betray us. In the culture of Jesus' time, the heart captured the very nature of a person, the true person. And what he's saying is that whatever you store in your heart will ultimately be exposed. It'll come to be exposed who you really are, truly good or truly bad. And that's why the author of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So how do you know you're on the right path? Not necessarily what fruit are you producing, but what does your heart delight in? What does your heart delight in? Does it delight in what God delights in? Or how the psalmist in Psalm 1 writes, this person whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. In the context of all of Scripture, I want to say, do you delight in Jesus? Do you, do you delight in His Word given to us where we're no longer chasing moralistic ventures to prove to others how good we are, but rather just sitting and delighting in Jesus? And I hope at this point we can be a little more honest and I can be honest with you. And as a pastor, I feel like I should lead the way and say, sometimes I don't feel like I delight in God. Sometimes my heart doesn't delight in Him fully. Sometimes my heart isn't filled with good things. Sometimes the fruit I produce isn't good fruit when I fail as a husband, a father, and a neighbor. Sometimes I lose my temper. Sometimes I look for pleasures away from God. Sometimes I'm impatient, manipulative, and vindictive. And sometimes I feel exposed as a bad tree. But the universal truth is this, that all of us, 
all of us has chosen a path of destruction. We all have planted our hearts in the ways of self-justification, self-reliance, and self-gratification. And all our best efforts, whatever we try to produce, all fall short of the glory of God. And as Jesus shares this passage, that we all deserve to be cut and thrown into the fire. But there is good news found in Scripture. Through Jesus, it says that we're replanted. That we're replanted. That we have been replanted by the streams of living water where we can be refreshed, revived, and restored. That our hearts can be filled with the very life of God and that we can be delight, we can delight in Him the way we were supposed to to drink deeply from the grace that's only made possible by the blood of a spotless lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ. Not what we can produce, not what we can show off, not what we can put out there, but solely by grace given to us, God himself replants us. If we would just turn from ourselves and towards him, he replants us to a river on the path of life that will last for all of eternity and for all of us. God gives us his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.